بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم وعلى آله وأصحابه والأخيار وسلم تسليما كثيرا أجمعين وبعد جزاكم الله خيرا وفاكم الله may Allah سبحانه وتعالى bless all of you for coming out tonight and may Allah give you success so I would like to frame this by saying that usually in January, especially the first week in January, the khutbah and the halaqa are usually about uh, the imams giving New Year's resolutions, right? You know, how to get closer to Allah, five steps to get closer to Allah, so on and so forth. But this is sort of prescriptive. And so today, I'm not, I'm not going to be prescriptive, rather, inshallah ta'ala, I want to just explain something to you. Reason being is this. Every one of us has a maqam with Allah. Every one of us has a station with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And also a way, a vehicle by which we should reach that station. Now, if by chance I say to you this year, 2020, read more Quran, Make more salah. Wake up for tahajjud. All of these things may not necessarily be the remedy for you to reach the maqam with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? How do we know this? Because, and Allah is not shy of the truth, there are some people who read more Quran than anyone else and yet and still they mistreat their spouse. There are people who fast every Monday and Thursday and yet and still they are addicted to pornography and Allah is not shy of the truth. There are people who never miss a night of taraweeh and yet and still right after Ramadan they go back to khamar, they go back to alcohol. And I say this, these are true things. These, these are not things that I'm, that I'm imagining or making up. These are things that I know for a fact happen. And so it's not necessarily that we just need more Quran, that we need more uh, Salah, more Siyam. Rather, I have one piece of advice for you, Allah Ta'ala. The only way out of a situation like this, where a person is engaged with the Quran, engaged with the Salah, engaged with the Siyam, and yet and still they, they continue to come up short, the only advice and nasiha I have for the coming year is Sidq Ma'anafs. For you to be honest with yourself. For you to be truthful with yourself. And the reason why I mention that is this. You know, in the book, Lu'lu Wal Mandur, Gems and Jewels, Omar ibn Khattab, when he was the Khalifa, and, and many of us probably know this story, but it has uh, so many layers of benefit. When he was the Khalifa, he used to go out at night on nightly patrols. People know about these nightly patrols, right? So this one particular night, he took Abdullah ibn Mas'ud with him. And as they were on their nightly patrol, they saw a, a fire burning in the distance. <clears throat> and so he said, let's, let's go see what this fire is. So when they got to the fire, they saw that it was a fire in the house. It was a candle. So he told Ibn Mas'ud, you wait here. And so 
Omar bin al-Khattab, he went into the house and he saw an old man sitting with a bottle of alcohol in front of him and a stripper. A woman that was dancing. So Omar, when he saw this, he stayed quiet and continued to watch for some time. And then finally he pounced out and surprised the old man. Old man was shocked. And so the first thing Omar ibn al-Khattab, he said was, I have never seen such a shameful act like this in my life. Here you are an old man who should be waiting for death. And the old man, he looked at Omar ibn al-Khattab, the Khalifa, this mighty personality that we all know of. And he said, Ya Amiru Mu'mineen, no. Rather, it is you who should be ashamed of yourself. You came into my house without permission, and then you spied on me. At this moment, Omar ibn al-Khattab, he said, you're right. Look at this. Sidq ma'anafs. He said, you're right. And he immediately turned around and left. And the narration says that he was biting his, biting his clothes and saying, what if Allah does not forgive me? So some time went by, the old man, he stopped coming to the halakah of Omar. Of course, he's ashamed. So some time goes by, over some weeks, the old man returns to the halakah. So when he returns to the halakah, Omar ibn Khattab, he sees him in the back row and he, he gestures for him to come here. So the old man, now he doesn't know if he's going to be punished by Omar, he's going to be whipped in public. So he slowly makes his way, way up to Omar. So when he gets close to Omar, Omar gestures him to bring his ear to his lips and he says, by the one who sent Muhammad with the truth, I swear that I have not mentioned what I saw that night to even any soul, not even Ibn Mas'ud who was with me. I have not mentioned it to anyone. So the old man, he gestured for Omar to bring his ear close and he said, by the one who brought Muhammad with the truth, I have not gone back to those deeds since the night that you saw me. And Umar bin al-Khattab screamed out, Allahu Akbar. So we see Sidq ma'anafs on both sides. You see, the old man transgressed twice. He had a woman in his home, a strange woman that he shouldn't have had in his home, and he was drinking khamar. And yet and still, Umar bin al-Khattab transgressed when he entered his house without asking, and he spied on him. So when you have two... Two sidqs like this, two sadiq like this, it cancels out, subhanAllah, the adab of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so they both were able to repent because they were being truthful with themselves. And this is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَذَكِّرْهُمْ بِأَيَّامِ اللَّهِ Remind them about the days of Allah. إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتِ لِكُلِ سَبَارٍ shakur. He says, because certainly in these, in these days are signs for people who what? Are patient and grateful. See, these are the days of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibn Abbas, he said about this particular ayah. He said the days of Allah is when Allah's hand was over the jama'ah because of their care and concern for one another and their truthfulness with themselves. They weren't in denial. They weren't delusional about their conditions. So now we have a situation where today you come to the imam you say, this is the, what I did, I'm very sorry. He says, 
make 1,000 istighfar, give sadaqah, read these verses of Quran for a week, and then inshallah, Allah will forgive you. La, this is not how it works in real life. You can't make 1,000 istighfar, give some charity, and then Allah forgive you. If you have a heart that is not salim, that has not confronted its own condition, then those acts are meaningless acts. You see, one of the Salaf, he said, I have been teaching about Islam for 40 years. And I still don't know if my intention is for Allah. After 40 years, I still don't know if my intention is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah rewards us for being truthful. Allah rewards us for being truthful. And being truthful about your condition is a kind of maghfirah in and of itself. It's a kind of forgiveness and protection. It's a waqaya in and of itself. Why? Because you're not under any false pretense. You're not under any false ideas about yourself. Because what? This is the disease, of course, of Iblis. So although I don't have a New Year's resolution, when we say, what was it, Abdullah, looking forward, what is it, 2020? 2020 vision. This halakha is called 2020 vision. Kind of works perfectly. Alhamdulillah, it only happened one time. I'm going to give you four questions that we should all be asking ourselves for the coming years. So as you move forward, you should be asking yourself, instead of you know, me prescribing, you know, wake up for tahajjud three nights a week, you should be asking yourself, number one, what do I plan to sacrifice for Allah? What have I sacrificed in 2019? Really think, do a mental uh, evaluation. What did I sacrifice in 2019 for Allah? And what do I plan on sacrificing? Why? Because imagine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asking Iblis to make one small sacrifice with his status, right? Iblis was the sheikh. We all know he was the sheikh in Jannah. And Allah said, look, I want you to make one small step down from your status and just make sujood. And he said, what? La ana khayru minhu. I'm better than him. No sacrifice. Sufyan al-Tawri, who was a great faqih in the time of uh, Abu Hanifa, he said that Adam... He transgressed out of shahwa, out of desire. And Iblis, he transgressed from kibur. Adam was forgiven and Iblis was cursed forever. So you look at this one little sacrifice that he refused to make on one end of the spectrum. And then you look on the other end of the spectrum. Ibrahim, alayhi salam. Allah sends him a dream. And he says to his son, I've been told I have to take your life. And what does, the, what does Ismail uh, salam, say? Ya abati, oh my father, if al-ma'tu'maru, do what you have to do, do what you've been commanded. Satajiduni, insha'Allah, min as-sabirin. You'll find me, insha'Allah, patient. If you have to cut my head off, do what you have to do, do what you've been commanded to do. You see, so we, we see two ends of the spectrum of sacrifice. One, just one saj sajda. The other, a complete sacrifice, the shuhada, your life. So let's meet right in the middle and ask ourselves, what am I prepared to sacrifice for Allah this year? The reason why, brothers and sisters, really honestly, we think that we're making strides and strides. You know, we get a, a stamp for Eid. Alhamdulillah, that's good. 
But the reason why personal, so little is being accomplished personally is because so little is being offered up for sale to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So little is being offered up for sale to Allah. Abu Sayyid al-Khudri, he said that one time he, he entered upon the Prophet sallallahu during the Prophet's last illness. He said, Ya Rasulullah, this, this fever of yours is severe. Severe. And the Prophet ﷺ, between bouts of you know, unconsciousness, he said, yes, that's the way it is with me. Everything, every calamity with me is severe, and yet the reward is great. And yet the reward is great. And before you, there were a people who were tried to such an extent that all they had to wear were rags that were infested with lice. And yet they were happier with that than you would be with presents. Hmm? They are happier with that than you are with presents. So we have to think about what kind of sacrifice we're going to make for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this year. What am I willing to sacrifice? What am I willing to give up? Something as small as technology, maybe one day a week. Imagine how difficult that would be. Compared, and compare that to Ismail giving up his entire life. And we can't give up our phones for one day. Those emails, those text messages, they'll still be there, inshallah. So this is the first question. What am I prepared to sacrifice for Allah? The second question, and this is a little bit more difficult. What have I sacrificed for my spouse? And what am I prepared to sacrifice for my spouse in the coming year? And really, this is family. What am I prepared to sacrifice for my parents, for my children? If you're not married, your parents, inshallah. And maybe we look at it like this. Because listen, make amends. Apologize. Apologize to your husband, sisters. Apologize to your wives, brothers. Why? Because on Yom Qiyamah, when you stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, barefoot, naked, and uncircumcised, People are not even worth being questioned about. No one is worth being even asked about. If you have, as, as a, the Prophet as he was dying, he said, An-Nisa, 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 right? The women, the women, the women, meaning that they're your captives. So if we believe as men that these women who are our captives, so to speak, that we have so many rights over them, that we can just come and go and exploit them and, and mistreat them any way we want to because we have so many hadith that back up our claim. If we think this is correct, when you meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, imagine your wife bringing all these claims and your spouse has so many rights over you. Your parents have so many rights over you. Your children have so many rights over you. It's not worth the risk. It's better to just apologize. Trust me. It's better to just straighten out the situation now. Let's sit down. Let's talk. Because if something happens to me, I do not want my wife to say, yeah, but Allah, look at this. There's a narration in which Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said on Yom Qiyamah, on the day of resurrection, the people will line up to testify for the good character of a man. And they all one by one testified to his akhlaq and his adab. 
until finally his wife comes and says, Ya Allah, no. This is how he was at home. He was a tyrant and he was an oppressor and he was negligent towards his obligation to me and to you. And she'll continue to mention his mishaps until he's thrown in the fire. Yadi billah. So this is why Allah says in the Quran, He says, "Live with your spouses bil ma'roof, bil ma'roof." This word ma'roof it comes from urf, custom. The the mufassirin they say it means to live with your spouses bil ma'roof, live with them according to the well-known custom of the of the land you live in. Be kind to them according to the custom of the land. So what does that mean? That means brothers. We can't hold on to what the old country does. When you come home, you expect your food to be ready just on the spot. I do the same thing, and I'm not from the old country. I do the same thing. Bil ma'roof, according to the custom. Sometimes you have to cook. Sometimes you got to have a date night, no children, just you and your spouse. Bil ma'roof, according to the well-known custom of kindness, according to where you live at. So live with them in this kindness. Sometimes you got to babysit. Sometimes you got to just sit down and say, let's talk. Let's be friends. Because, you know, relationships turn into roommates. Marriage turn into just, yeah, that's my roommate. She cool. But Allah makes it clear. Orf, according, be kind according to the custom you live in. Here, you got to have movie night, date night. You got to let the sisters go out sometimes and have their parties. Bil ma'roof. Likewise, parents with your children. Parents with your children. Be mindful. I know when they're younger, they're so cute in the hijab. And they're so cute. When they come and stand next to you and make salah. And they want to beg. Your sons, our sons want to beg us to come to the masjid. When they're three and four and five. Can I please come dad? Abu, I want to come. But then when they turn 16. They become monsters. How do they become these little creatures? Subhanallah. Here's the thing. Bil ma'roof. Live with your children bil ma'roof. What does that mean in this context? Be kind to them according to the custom of society. When they reach the age of Balagha, the age of Tamyiz, which according to Hadith is seven, but according to the standard we live in, discrimination and discernment, 15, 16, 17. Even though you're thinking as a parent, I'm thinking, how could you act like this about Islam? You don't want to wear hijab? You've been Muslim 16 years. When your sons don't make salah perfectly at their fixed time, how come you don't want to wake up for fajr? You've been doing this for 14 years. You're 16 years now. How could this happen? Understand this. When they reach the age of Balagha and Tamyiz at 15, 16, 17, they're like new Muslims. They're like converts. They don't know anything about Islam. It's like their first year of Islam. How would you treat a new Muslim? Oh, you who believe, save yourselves and save your families from the fire. It is more important that you have a, 
healthy relationship with them than for you to force her to wear hijab or force him to make all of his salah beat him. It's more important for you to have a healthy relation bil ma'roof. Why? Because, listen, parents think that TV is a gateway to transgression and that movies are a gateway to transgression and that social media is a gateway to transgression. La. From my experience, what I've seen, counseling families, the first gateway to transgression are overbearing parents. Parents that place suspicion on their children, condemnation. Parents that don't allow their children to self-express. Parents who suppress the identities of their children. This is the gateway to vaping and cannabis and marijuana. Parents who are overbearing, who expect a standard from whatever country you come from when you're living in an environment that's totally obtuse to that particular construct. It's very, very, very important for you to have a nurturing, healthy relationship with them even before you tell this young girl you must wear, you, you must wear the hijab. I mean, think about this. You're asking a young woman and, 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 and for the young ladies, all four schools, they say the hijab is fard, it's wajib, it's obligatory. The Prophet said in the hadith in the Tirmidhi, if a young woman reaches the age of haid, menstrual, menstruation, and she prays without hijab, the salah is not accepted. But with that said, for the parents, imagine you're asking a young vulnerable woman to put something on her head that has a stigma to it, you're asking her to be socially vulnerable. You're asking her to be, you know, put to, to be socially stigmatized and marginalized. Wear this on your head every day. Why? Because I said so. We have to be more patient. We have to be extremely. Being a parent is a, is a lesson in humility, really. We think that because we have authority over our children that we need to have authority over them all the time. We have to protect them from themselves. And sometimes that means being a patient friend. Now, I'm certainly not saying that young girls shouldn't wear hijab. I told you it's fart. It's obligatory. But sometimes it may take a child a little longer than you, than you anticipate. As parents, we have it all mapped out. We have the school we want them to go to, the university, what they want to study, the career, what kind of husband and wife we want them to have, what area we want them to live in, how many children we want them to have was all mapped out as grandparents. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, It may be that you, you dislike a thing that's good for you. So your parents, as parents, sometimes our children are teaching us lessons as well. In patience. So sometimes we have to be patient. So that's the second thing. The third question you want to ask yourself, what am I willing to sacrifice for my community? Bismillah. You know, some of the Salaf, when they ran out of good deeds to do, they would just go to the sukh, they would go to the marketplace and stand in the middle and just give salams. They would go to the masjid entrance and just spread salams. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. This is it. So you have to make up good deeds for your community. So we should be thinking, what am I willing to sacrifice for ISGL? Look, money's good. Alhamdulillah. Money's good. But you can't buy your way into Jannah. 
The difference between birr and taqwa. Birr is righteous actions. Taqwa is staying away from what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited. So there are a lot of adults who engage in what Allah has prohibited and then give sadaqah and think that is wiped away. La, doesn't work like this. You can't have birr without taqwa. You can't just think you're going to do righteous actions. I give this money to the masjid. I make my salah. But then you're engaging in all of the transgression that you want to. Taqwa is, is when you put a, a shield up between you and what Allah hates. So what am I going to do for my community, for ISGL, besides giving money? Money's good. But what am I going to do besides? Is there, for the, for the brothers who are, who are here, who are engaged, is there a volunteer list here? Alhamdulillah. Well, I'm going to start calling some of these volunteers, inshallah ta'ala. Because we need to give ourselves opportunities to do good for Allah. There was a person, a colleague of mine I used to work with. And she, once a week, she would come to the, she would go to every floor, three floors, and give one piece of candy to every single person in the building. If you weren't there, she will just leave like one Hershey kiss on the, on the desk, on the seat. So one day I said, you know, I asked her, why, why, why do you do this? You know, once a week you leave this candy. She said, because I don't ever want it said that someone met me and they didn't gain anything good from me. I don't want it said that I didn't bring benefit to anyone. So again, the age of deference is gone where we can come just passively listen to halaqa, passively listen to Jum'ah and leave. The masjid, the houses of Allah need active, enthusiastic members. Umar ibn Khattab, he used to say what? I seek refuge with Allah from what? An active disbeliever against a lazy believer. The masjids need enthusiastic worshipers. People who don't just give money, but they give their bodies and their time. Uh, the mother of the believers, Aisha, radiallahu anha, she was teaching a halaqa. She was giving a class to both men and women. And so someone asked her about the verse, فَمِنْهُمْ ظَالِمٌ لِنَفْسِهِ وَمِنْهُمْ مُقْتَصِدْ وَمِنْهُمْ سَابِكٌ بِالْخَيْرَةِ The verse, and from amongst the Muslims, there are some who oppress themselves. And there are some who follow a moderate way. And there are some who race to do good. They're the foremost in doing good. So Aisha, radiallahu anha, she said, as for the sabikun bil khayrat, they are the likes of the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and his companions who sacrificed it all. And remember, she lived 60 years after the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, 60, 55, 60 years after. So this is after he had been dead and gone, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, for decades he was gone. She said, for those who race to do good, Allah speaking about the messenger of Allah and his companions, they sacrificed everything. As for those who follow the middle course, they are those companions who came after them. And as for the ظالمونلي نفسه, the Muslims who oppress themselves, they are the likes of me, she pointed to herself, and you, my son. She included herself as a person who oppresses themselves. Aisha, mother of the believers. She's in the top five narratives of hadith. Over 2,000 narr 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 hadith narrated. And she said she's a person who oppresses her own self. So how much do we have to keep up to that? What do we have to do? There has to be more of a spirit of enthusiasm. I have ideas. You have ideas. Let's collaborate. The reason why there's not a footprint, ISGL should have a footprint in Chelmsford, in Lowell, in Lawrence, in Methuen. There should be a footprint here. 
And there may be some semblance of a footprint, but it's not like the churches and the synagogues. Allah purchases from the believers their lives and their wealth for the price of paradise. So Allah wants you to present deeds that he can buy back. But so little is going up for sale to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what are we willing to sacrifice? First, to Allah. Second, to the spouse or our parents or our children. Third, to our community. And finally, what conspiracy of goodness do you have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Let me explain. Allah says, Kutiba alaykum right? Fasting has been prescribed. It's a prescription for those who are sick so that we may attain, obtain taqwa, not just righteous acts, bir, which means doing good deeds. Ibn Abbas, he said, everyone does good deeds, but only the people with taqwa stay away from the evil deeds. There's people who line up to us next to Salah, they do the worst things, believe me. So Salah, alhamdulillah, is good. But then we're saying to you, in order to attain taqwa, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said about fasting. He said, Fasting is for me, and I'm going to reward it. Why? Because it's a secret between you and Allah. So ask yourself, what conspiracy of goodness do I have only between me and my Lord for the rest of my life? Every single Muslim should have at least one thing that's a secret between them and Allah. So this year, 2020, what's your secret? Don't tell me, of course. But think for yourself, what am I going to do for Allah that's going to be between me and him? One of the great awliya of Allah, he fasted for 40 years and no one ever knew. He said when my wife would pack my lunch, I would go to work and give it to my colleagues and tell them I ate at home. And when I got home and my wife asked me how my lunch was, I would say it was well-liked. So no one ever knew I was fasting. So these are the kind of actions that we have to have. What conspiracy of goodness do I have between me and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What am I willing to do that no one else will know about? And as we move into 2020, we have to have sidq, truthfulness with ourselves. Because again, making tasbih, if you make dua after the salah in here with us, honestly, and Allah is not shy of the truth. How much of a firm, strong, sincere dua can you make when all of us are looking at you? How much dua can you make that's sincere, have ikhlas when I'm staring at you, when your sister's looking at you? What are you really saying to Allah in the masjid? Instead, rather you say, listen, I'm going to be in my room. Go home and say, listen, I'm going to be in my room for the next 20 minutes. Don't disturb me. I have some work to do. And then lift your hands up and cry to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about your hopes, your fears, about his knowledge of your past and his knowledge of your future. Cry to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't make dua here with us looking at you. Make dua at home where you can put your face on the floor and humiliate yourself before Allah. This is the ikhlas. This is the secret that you should have between you and your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because I'm telling you, the way the world is moving, and we're going to talk about this in the Ashrat Yawm Al-Qiyam, and the signs of the day of resurrection, the end of times, the class we start month, uh, 
on January 6th. We're going to talk about the way the world is headed now. I'm telling you. The only hope we have is not in a 401k. It's not in a passport. It's not in any of that. The only hope we have is sitku ma'anafs wa sitku ma'allah. Being truthful with ourselves, being honest with ourselves, and being truthful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is going to be the only thing that will save us from ad-dijjal, that will save us from all of the fitan that's coming. Really, it's here. It's not coming. It's, it's, it has arrived. We are in a dijjalic time. And inshallah, that's a preview to our class, January 6th. So please show up. 7 to 7.45. So I'll end by saying this. Allah has given us a great opportunity. There are so many people who didn't reach 2020. And for those of us who are babies from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, imagine we're in the space age, brothers and sisters. Imagine how we used to say, imagine 2020, what it would look like. We're here. And Allah has given us a great opportunity, a great ni'mah for us to do great deeds. Great deeds with great enthusiasm, sincerely for him. So let us search our hearts. And let us call on our loved ones so that they can point out our strengths and our weaknesses and we can improve. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us to be more sincere. May Allah help us to have enthusiasm in our deen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us better today than we were yesterday. May Allah help us to extend the hand of mercy to our loved ones and our spouses and our children. May Allah make us patient with his decree. And may Allah keep us for, away from his adab and what earns his wrath. Ameen. Barakallahu fikum. So now, inshallah ta'ala, we have a little time that we specifically built in to kind of uh, take some Q&A, take some questions, some answers, answers, anybody have any statements they like to make. Um, this is a good time. Pell, the children, is it a sin if a parent doesn't compel the children? Is it a sin if the child doesn't wear it and the parent is liberal? So, again, it's important to note that hijab is fard, it's wajib, it's obligatory. In fact, everything on a woman should be covered, specifically because we're talking about hijab, uh, except the hands and the, the, the face. And in the Hanafis, the feet are permissible, the Hanafi fiqh, the feet are also permissible to show. And for the man, he also has hijab, right? That his aura should be covered from the navel to the knees. This is obligatory. But again, let us take into consideration the environment that we live in when we compel our children and force them. Because if you push them away, they'll make haja of you. They'll boycott you. And then you lose them completely. And then you come to the a'imma, you come to the imams crying. Please talk to my son. Please talk to my daughter. We had a big fight. We had a blowout. So before it gets to that, it's better that you swallow a pill of humility and keep them in your homes so you can keep track of them and know where they are at all times and be patient. Okay, you don't want to pray today? Fine, make dua for you. Inshallah ta'ala. When you start putting your hands on them and yelling at them. And in this day and age, the, day, the age of deference is gone. This is not going to work for too much longer. You know, that's not going to work. We're not back 100 years ago where you can intimidate children into worshiping Allah. So we just have to be very patient and lower the wing of humility. Allah knows best.
question. Yes. Bismillah. Keep tapping. I think it. Try it now. Try it. Yep. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum So how would you suggest we encourage the women around us? Like, for example, I have family members and friends and even some students you know, who don't wear hijab at the moment. But obviously it's good to encourage. So how do you positively encourage that? Mm. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If your first introduction to someone, sister, is how come you don't wear hijab? You know? Or when they come into the masjid, put this on. SubhanAllah. The Prophet ﷺ, he used to have the Christians of Najran and Taqif come and sleep in the masjid. Christians. So befriend them. First and foremost, befriend them. Become a confidant. This is the most important thing. People will not gain conf confidence in your ability to care for them until you first demonstrate that you're a confidant. So I would say first, don't even make it about deen. Don't even make it about Islam. Why don't you wear hijab? Why don't you do this? Read this book, take this pamphlet. Just befriend them. And don't think there's a halakha tonight, are you coming? Because in our minds, we think Allah's gonna put something in their heart during the halakha and they'll see that Islam is the way to go. But oftentimes the people are too intimidated and afraid to just be judged. So just befriend them by offering them, let's go out to eat, let's go out to dinner, let's go for a walk. It doesn't always have to be dini. Why? Because you're dini. You've already brought the deen with you wherever you go. So sometimes just being a, a friend, I think this is most important. It may take you being a friend for a year. I've seen this happen without mentioning anything about Islam. One day they'll say, uh, what time is the halakha tonight? Oh, yeah. And then you say it casually at seven. Can you pick me up? Okay, it may take a year before that happens. But the worst thing is, remember, when you go to Madrasa, they have the school of Aqidah, they have the school of uh, Hadith, but they also have a school of Da'wah. The school of Da'wah is four full years. Imagine, Da'wah is an art. It's not a science. It's not like you come with no hijab, I tell you about the, the rights of Allah, you put on hijab, like a science. No, it's an art. It takes people four years to just learn the, the art of how to give da'wah. The problem is that we think we're ready-made da'is. That every person we meet, we got to give them da'wah. Sometimes your da'wah is just good personality, good character, and being a good friend. And Allah knows best. Bismillah. Another question. We have about 10 more minutes, inshallah. Mm -hmm. I'm struggling with that and I have no resources that are Islamic basically to reach out to me. So that would be really helpful. Jazakallahu khairan, sister, for this, for this statement. It's funny, and those of us who have teenagers and, and college students, 
the parents with the toddlers have all the answers, right? They know they know all the answers. Why? Because their children have not grown up yet. So thank you for being uh, vigilant enough to understand that there's things that you don't know yet. What I would like to do, and this is what I'm proposing to you know um, the board and the imam committee, we want to have a parenting workshop, which would be a full two days that would involve an interaction, not just me teaching at the at parents, but an interaction workshop, uh, some media, some some short videos, some small uh, readings, some small groups, some breakouts, a real workshop environment. Why? Because it's going to take all of us, as they say, it takes a village. It's going to take collective wisdom to understand how we should raise our children. I don't have all the answers. I have an adult child. I have teenagers and I have toddlers as well. I certainly have some experience, but I don't have the answers. But some of you have experience and answers and combined, we can come up with some, some, mashallah ta'ala, some solutions. So I'm going to make that a priority, sister. Um, just promise me that when you see the date and the time and the place that you show up, inshallah. So we're going to propose it and we're going to build it out. Two days of learning out how to deal with our Muslim children, inshallah ta'ala. Yes. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. No, not at all, not at all. We say this, here's the criteria for cutting off friends. Here's the criteria for cutting off friends. The criteria for young Muslims cutting off friends is number one, drugs. When you see your friends start to do drugs, you need to get this person help. And we don't believe in sni uh, that, that snitching is wrong in this case. Snitch, come to me, Come to a parent, come to someone you know, and tell. So this is a reason enough to cut off friendship when someone is starting to do drugs. When someone is starting to be uh, loose with opposite gender, meaning they start to, you see them, you know, uh, doing more than transgressing with, with the opposite gender. This is a reason of alarm. But if a person is coming into Islam on their own terms, on their own time, and it, with their own understanding. SubhanAllah, this is normal. This is human nature. Allah gave us the aql so that we can think and contemplate and understand intellectually and then spiritually why we should do something. So if a person is engaged in Islam, fulfilling the obligations, but maybe not wear hijab, maybe not praying on time all the time, maybe has some small things, this is no reason to cut off a friendship. Insha'Allah Ta'ala, we strengthen each other. Allah knows best. Yes. Right. SubhanAllah. So the sister said, our sister uh, mentioned, this is in and out, it's going in and out. The sister mentioned, why is it, yeah, I think when this is on, that, that one of them cuts off when the other one's on. It's off? Yeah, okay. So the sister mentioned, why is it that uh, that's a big deal? Drugs and uh, kind of like loose behavior between genders. Because she said, which is true, a lot of young Muslims are dating and a lot of them are vaping and doing, and it's not a big deal to do marijuana and things these days. And it's just for those very reasons 
that it's a big deal because these behaviors have been normalized, right? These behaviors have been normalized. And so if you, are, if you have a child who's a practicing Muslim and trying to strive their best and their friend who comes from a Muslim family or Muslim background but is engaged in marijuana or engaged in loose behavior with the opposite sex, because it's been normalized, the peer pressure is on the person, as the sister said, who's the odd man out. That they're the person that's going to experience the dawah being given to them because they're in the minority. So this is reason enough even for adults to cut people off and then try to get them some help, make dua for them, but certainly don't engage with them. It's not, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. You don't know. None of us are as strong you know, as we may think we are. And Allah knows best. Should he ask a question? So if there Mm -hmm. That's okay. So I work at a school uh, in Tewksbury, and you know, there's a lot of focus on holidays like Christmas, Halloween, Valentine's Day. It's almost like you know every quarter there's something. And you know, I'm just wondering for kids who are exposed, like Muslim kids, in such institutions where you know uh, there's a big focus because it's not a very diverse demographic. How do we? Like, I'm just wondering if I have a child who's in that age and is experiencing all this and comes home and is like, Mom, can we, like, look at all the lights, look at all the trees, you know, it's Halloween, and their heart is really attracted to that. How do we kind of make them feel like it's okay that you are different and that you don't have to be, um, you know, following all these customs to be good and cool? I don't know if that makes sense. Right, absolutely. Absolutely makes sense. So, some clarifying answers. Number one, in the last 20 years, the ulama used to look at Christmas and Halloween as issues of aqaid, issues of aqidah, right? If you celebrate Christmas and you celebrate Halloween, your aqidah is off. You don't understand Allah. You don't understand the theology. But in the past 20 years, even the Fifth Council of North America, their, their position is changing. Why? At the very least, it's no longer an Aqidah issue. Really, we, we're not giving a license to celebrate Christmas. Don't celebrate Christmas. But in terms of like children going trick-or-treating and things like this, this is really a personal preference. We don't want to say... If you do this, it's, it's haram and your aqidah, you don't understand Islam and you're going to hell and you're going to be punished. We have to understand the environment we're putting our children in. Children in. So this is a very complicated topic. But to, just to keep it simple, I will say this. There are, if you put your children in a school where these things are celebrated, you have to expect that the zoyina, the lights and the glamour is going to, is going to attract them. My son just said, I love Christmas. You don't know anything about Christmas. But what he means is, I love the lights. I love 
the way it looks. I love the way people are dressed up. So it's no longer an Aqidah issue. It's just the custom of the people. The ulama here in the West, they even say to such an extent that the people don't even know the origins of these, of these things. They don't even know. They're just doing it now for gifts and presents and things like this. So really, we say don't celebrate them if you can help it. But it's a personal preference, especially things like Halloween. Christmas, don't celebrate. Uh, but Halloween, in terms of going out and getting some candy, it's not the worst thing you can do, really. And Allah knows best. I think it's time to, well, we have one, we, one more question. Uh-oh, here we go. The sheikh, he got me. Bismillah. Okay. Yeah, Shay. Can you speak up? Speak a little louder. Yes. Right. And I know that some of my kids, even this, they talk about it more than my own kids in right. here. Right. Because here they understand that we are different, right. different religions, and we have to respect other people, you know, ways, the same way we are respected That's right. welcome. That's right. So I find actually this issue, you should approach it like, yes, as you said, it, it is for a candy, like turkey treating, I right. would like to help Right. But not empathize the event. That's right. And what does it mean? That's right. The same thing. We can just tell them, yes, there's a Christmas and there's just, this is there to be and we cannot. And even the prophets of Allah so, so. and the Quran say, don't, you know, say bad words for them. About That's right. That's right. About That's right. So we need to be more accommodating, especially it's not only North American trend to make it easier to have part of the Aqidah actually about. <laughs> Right, right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Muslim countries Excellent. Excellent. No, we're good. Yeah. Please. Go ahead. everyone for coming out. Since I have everyone's attention, I just wanted to uh, let you, everyone know that Alhamdulillah, we do have a round table out here uh, on a part-time basis. Um, so every Wednesday, inshallah, we'll be holding office hours um, at the masjid. Um, so inshallah, we'll be sending out the sign-up form by email as well. Uh, if, so if you're subscribed to our Google group, um, you should receive that. Um, we did transition from Yahoo group over to Google group because they were uh, shutting down or Yahoo group was being phased out. Uh, so for any reason you're not receiving any emails from us, yo, do let us know. You can talk to me. Uh, you can, for the sisters, you can talk to my wife, Zinia, inshallah. Um, and, and we can get
get your email so that we can get that result. But again, we will be signing, sending out the uh, appointment um, sign up for Michelle by email. You can also follow us on Facebook. Um, ISGL is on Facebook. Uh, so I just wanted to make that clear, Michelle.